Wallace, I can confirm that parents are very pleased to have teachers carry out sex education. It needs to be evidence-based, not just random parent ideas. Uh, my daughters respect and love me, but they would have laughed me out of the room and teased me now. And I've got to bring this up, Steve. Would you please ask your male panel member to apologise for what he said about the leader of the ACT Party during the sex education topic? That was below par. And I actually, I have to say, I tend to agree. We we talk with respect on this show, Steve. Okay, um, I made a flip. Do you understand what I'm saying? I made a flippant off the cuff remark actually about MPs in the act party. I didn't pick out the leader. It's interesting that your listener thought I was talking about the leader. That's not what I said. But respect goes a long way. Yes, it does. And and I apologise for the remark I made. It was not the remark that your listener heard, however. Right. Uh, and a big response regarding uh, what Ellie Jones saying about the what should Ellie get rid of. Uh, we are not alone, Ellie, but most but lost most of our stuff in a flood. We have photos, mm-hmm. though, and family histories, and those are what will be of value to our descendants, hopefully. Sometimes jewellery is worth keeping, but to be honest, that poncho will not really matter three generations later. Keep what you know. It'll be important to your descendants, and I hope that helps, says Pip. Oh, that's lovely, Pip. Thank you. And actually, I've I've just looked at the poncho, and I think there's something living in it, so my decision has been made. (laughs) Gorgeous. Uh, And that poncho is on the panel website. It is 4.37 into this. Your local sports club, made of passionate volunteers looking after the books, the maintenance and fundraising, such an essential part of the local Kiwi community. But there are fears that sports clubs will buckle under the weight of new legislation. Incorporated community sport organisations, ICSOs, have until 2026 to re-register under the new Incorporated Societies Act 2022 or face involuntary dissolution. What do all those words mean? Let's talk with Christina Bearbin, who's on the committee of the new Plymouth Roller Sports Club, one of the many clubs that put in a submission. Christina, kia ora. Hi, how are you? Look, there will be thousands upon thousands listening to this who are part of their local club, you know, around the country. Explain to us what this will mean for your little local club. Um, I guess for us... um We've been around like since 1954, I think. So the club's actually quite old. Um, And we have updated our constitution as we've needed to over the years as things have developed and changed. This one is a bit different because they are adding in quite a few things that we haven't had to do before um, in terms of the finances, in terms of different policy. And um, I guess part of the problem is that the volunteer side of so we are volunteers, all of us, our club is run by volunteers, um, that that side of it um, puts a lot of pressure on us to be a bit, I guess, more professional, for want of a better word, um, in how those policies and updates are done. Uh, we're not in a position to go out and get legal advice, Um and it seems that in some cases that might be a must. Um, we're not in a position to employ accountants to do our finances. And in terms of our club um, specifically, uh, I mean, we're a, a kind of a niche sport, I guess, with, with roller sports. Um, we've been around, as I say, for quite a while, but we also built our own building um, with a lot of um, volunteer help in the late 1990s. We opened in 2001, um, latched that onto an old building that was built in 1963. And so we have a huge 
maintenance costs oh, I bet. now that yeah. we own the building. Um, and that really sucks up all our money. You uh, you've painted it well there, Christina. Uh, what do you think, Steve? I mean, you've got the. I mean, here's a fact for you, Steve. In the last year, around 340 community sports organisations were dissolved. So this is obviously a pretty big deal. It is. And. and you know, um, a remark I made to you during the break there was we were talking about the, um, the 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 forty nine steps that the incoming governments are going to take um, as part of their their first hundred days, and so much of it is undoing things that uh, were brought in under the last Labour government, and and we've got a new ministry coming in that's supposed to deregulate things, and yet this particular act doesn't appear to be anywhere on the list, and you would think, given what we've just heard, this would be a prime candidate. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Christina? I agree. I think um, that there are a lot of things in here that, that are, gonna, are going to really affect small clubs. Um, I think also that, you know, the cost factor is alone is going to be a nightmare. Um, I think the, the period of time they've given us to actually um, get our incorporation um, updated is also going to affect us because we all we all work in different seasons. Like for, for at the moment, we're about to shut down until probably like late February, and then we're full on like till October. Um, but you know we're busy running the sport and um, developing the players and things like that. So you know getting people um, involved and also rewriting all the paperwork is um, going to be quite a mission. Ellie, you ought to be part of this. Well, what's interesting, I think, in that list of 49 prioritised actions that have been announced this afternoon by Chris Luxon is that at number seven on the list is start work to improve the quality of regulation. Obviously, we heard that in the lead up to the election. And I think um, Mr Seymour is the minister of, of that area and that's where he's going to be focused. So I would uh, I would assume that this is going to require some consultation. And Christina, hopefully that's exactly what you can feed into. Well, here's one, Christina. Sorry, I have to jump in with this. Regarding the Charities Act, they should keep it simple for clubs that have a small turnover. We have about, exactly. we have about 30 rules in our constitution. Now, it's over 200. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling, really, that how much extra stuff has been put in there to, for us to abide by. I mean, we, you know, our turnover is not huge, um, but and funding is a nightmare anyway. Um, I mean, if we hadn't actually built the rink and we're coming out of COVID, we, we probably wouldn't have a club anymore. Um, Could you just give give us an example, Christina, of what, you know, because that's a huge jump from 30 to 200. What's in there that you think is nuts? Can you just give us an example of something? I think, um, well, this this policy on, like, for instance, all the members now, um, or from once we get the uh, constitution redone, all the members have to actually sign a form to say that they want to be a member or that they agree to be a member. Um, the committee, um, the same thing, you have to have so many committee members, you have to have so many club members. Um, the financial side of it is, uh, you know, you have to comply with uh, whatever your income is and the level under the um, BXRB reporting. So uh, there's sort of, it's, um, I mean, I haven't actually got to, got to grips myself. With you everything. sound frustrated, Christina. Mm. <laughs> You sound quite frustrated. So, as Ali pointed out, so uh, the minister uh, is likely to be uh, David Seymour uh, working on this. Uh, if he might be listening or uh, his MPs might be listening, what would you say to him? Well, I can't imagine how everybody's going to be able to get their 
policies and constitutions redone by the 1st of April 2026. I suspect that, you know, if you can show that you're processing that that new documentation, then they should be looking at extending that. Um, but then I also think they should be reviewing what they've actually put on us as well in terms of what we're required to do. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a quick look at some of the requirements that are involved in this. Um, so some of them look familiar from um, work that I've seen done with uh, my union, the Tertiary Education Union, which has be- recently uh, revised its constitution. Um, <laughs> felicitous timing that we actually had to incorporate a lot of this stuff. And it's things like, for example, um, dispute, dispute resolution processes. Oh, now, right. now I, I, I don't know if, um, you know, a, a, a roller society is a particularly litigious kind of organisation. I don't know how many disputes you guys have together. But I would imagine that a lot of that kind of thing would be um, fairly boilerplate, really. You should be able to find a lot of that sort of um, off the peg. I'm sure there's going to be some instances where, you, where larger and more specialised organisations are going to need to have things very, very specifically crafted for their purposes. But, but g- given that you're not going to have a long and routine dispute resolution need, I can't imagine that you're going to... I mean, yeah, it's going to be a damn nuisance, I realise. But shouldn't be that big, I hope, for you. It's just a quick comment. Well, not for us. I mean, the resolution side of things for us is, you know, like have a meeting and sort it out. Yeah. It's not like we... I guess we have a policy about um, solving problems, but, um, you know, to have it in the Constitution is another ballgame, no. really. Um, right. <laughs> just hey, puts too much on us. Well, great to highlight that issue, Christina, and uh, all the very best for uh, the new Plymouth Roller Sports Club. Uh, that's, yes, thank uh, you. Yeah, that's Christina Beaman, who was on the committee there. They put in a submission there. Uh, quite a big deal, isn't it, if you are part of a uh, sports club in the next uh, two or uh, three years. 15 to 5, we have Steve McCabe on the show and Ellie Jones joining us uh, today for Wednesday afternoon. Now, a dark sky sanctuary. I love talking about these because it always incites the imagination, doesn't it? It's an area set aside to preserve darkness, free from light pollution. I visited a, a dark sky reserve and it was... I'd go as far to say life-changing, but another benefit, cash money. Astro-tourism was forecast to bring in millions of dollars to Oxford and Waimakariri, Canterbury. A few months ago, we talked to the group putting together a plan to get the Oxford area dark sky accredited. They have just submitted their application to the accreditation body to make it official with us. Is Oxford Area School Observatory volunteer Raul Elias Drago. Uh, Raul, welcome back to the show. Kia ora. It's a real pleasure to be back, Wallace. Thank uh, you for having me. You know, any time I can talk about dark sky, because I, <laughs> I, I, I love it, um, being having the pleasure of being uh, in the Tiano area and going up is it Mount Cook's Observatory? Anyway, you've just submitted... Mount John, isn't it? Mount it? John. Thank you. Thank you, Mount John. A big part of that is getting the community on board. What support have you had? Oh, it's been a fantastic journey for us. So we started back in about March or so with, um, I would say, conversations with various stakeholders of various organisations in the community, starting with the schools, the medical centre, the pharmacy the uh, Department of Conservation, the animal and wildlife organizations, and little by little, the momentum has just grown. And it's just been a fantastic uh, process for us. We're now, today, we're just about to have our first official Oxford Dark Sky Group meeting, an annual general meeting of 21 organizations across the township. 
it's been a fantastic piece of work from from everybody, really. Ellie? I'm really interested in this too. I researched for a a documentary a couple of years ago in Tekapo, uh, in the area that you're talking about, Wallace. Yes. uh, And met um, the wonderful Japanese chap who worked with, who was it? There were two of them that set it up in in Tekapo, uh, Graham Murray and Haidazawa, that's right. Mm. And they set it up, and man, you're right about the astro-tourism because you've got this, the hot pools there, so you can sit in the hot pools and have the skies um, explained to you. Can can I'm just wondering, in Oxford, what can grow from this as far as the astro-tourism side of things goes? Well, as you know, Oxford is a small town in rural Canterbury, so we are about one hour northwest of Christchurch. So we're a, we're a small town that often in the weekends does receive quite a lot of uh, visitor traffic from Christchurch. We do get our international uh, tourists coming through. Locally, we've got an observatory that attracts some of the international tourists from time to time. Uh, but little by little, what we want to do, I think, I think the... Um, the goal of our dark sky initiative has, well, there's many aspects to it. One side is, of course, around human health, around animal preservation of ecosystems, wildlife. There is the astrotourism aspect and the increase in revenue. So there are different uh, sides to it. We, um, for, for our side, from, from the Oxford perspective, uh, there are many benefits that are going to come in, in tourism and the increase in, let's say, visitor traffic is just one of them. My apologies, by the way. Yeah, uh, Mount John is Tekapo, not Tiano, as I, uh, oh, as sorry, I said. I uh, but no, I made I got it wrong too. But I, I have been there, uh, and it was absolutely mind blowing, uh, Steve. Well, I'm, I'm with you, Wallace. Um, there's something almost like spiritual about seeing the night sky. I couldn't believe it. No, I grew up in Manchester, big, big industrial city, and I was vaguely aware that there were stars, and every now and then I see one, and that would be about. It really, I would have no no engagement with the night sky because you know there was nothing to see. And I moved from there to Tokyo, and you know it's like you you want light pollution, go to the biggest yeah. city in the world. And mm. and I, I just never had any clue what the fuss was about. And, and oddly enough, it was while I was living in Japan, um, and I went to. Um, very small island in the Japan Sea called Sadogashima and obviously very, very long way from Tokyo, very rural. I remember lying on my back on, uh, on the beach with a couple of friends and watching shooting stars and going, I had no idea. This is, this is almost, almost like it's a spiritual aware, awakening. It was a wonderful experience. And now where I live in Pukekohe, in my back garden, at night, if it's a clear night, I can see the Milky Way. Yeah. I could see these like, more stars than I had any con- clue existed. And I know I'm barely even scratching the surface. Wonderful. Nice story and, there. Uh, someone says, uh, oh, to your Great Barrier Island is the registered dark sky sanctuary and the night sky is unbelievably fabulous, especially from Power Beach and Trifina on a clear uh, winter's night. So, um, Ra, what is the next step? So for us, we have just, um, as, as mentioned before, we submitted our official application to the International Dark Sky Association. So that was done just last week. We expect now it will take a couple of months for a review and potentially there will be some feedback on the application. But ideally, what we would like to do is receive, of course, accreditation for um, for dark sky uh, status. So we've applied for the Oxford Forest Conservation Area as an international dark sky park. If we receive that designation, then 
early in 2024, we'll be able to announce it and begin to enjoy some of the projects around education, outreach, advocacy, uh, community support, astrotourism, uh, health, animals, and, and so forth. Are you excited about a Minister of Space? <laughs> uh, am, I, am I excited, sorry, about? About having a, our first Minister for oh, Space, Minister Judith Space. Collins. Yeah, I, I, I think it's wonderful, but you know, it's one of those things that I think from a dark sky perspective, we always have mixed feelings. We, uh, we of course, we love ex- space exploration and the advancement in technology, but um, I always think, oh gosh, there's going to be lots of likes with that. Oh uh, yeah, you <laughs> so, don't want the rockets. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, hey, yeah, Raul, but, all, all the best, all the best for your submission. Uh, as you a, uh, a Ellie Jones is a fan. Uh, the, and the great thing, Ellie, about astrotourism is uh, you might have infrastructure on the ground, but l- looking up doesn't cost a lot. No, and, you know, I'm just thinking about when we were in the house bus, we'd take it to the Pukaki um, uh, canals and park the bus there and we'd be off grid. There'd be no noise and you'd look up and the whole of the sky was just like this. It was like someone had thrown a handful of glitter up to the sky and it was phenomenal. Yeah, no, I love it. Well said. mm. Uh, Now, uh, just sneaking in a couple because um, uh, Ali Jones asked and I've been thinking what should I keep and what should I uh, chuck out from my memories across uh, across the life. Uh, Let the poncho go. Keep the photograph on your computer. Make Mm. it your home screen if you have to prove it's important to you. Um, Philip That's says, an excellent idea. Thank you. Yeah, it's not yeah. better. Philip says, I now only keep photos with people in them that are special to me. All photos of landscapes and buildings are culled, especially from overseas travel. Because why? No one wants to see them. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so true. Cold. Oh, well, it's a bit cold, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Steve. Yeah. Anyway, to this, uh, every now and then, as you'll know, as panel listeners, we do this occasional series in the panel. It's called Show and Tell, uh, where we have uh, some wonderful gems across the country hidden in the closet, only to be re- re- revealed to a nationwide audience on the panel. We've had many, and I thank you for that. But with us now, this is pretty cool, is Todd. Kia ora, Todd. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Very well. What do you have for our show and tell today? Well, I've got a letter opener that belonged to Arthur Conan Doyle, who was the Sherlock author. What? <laughs> yep. what from, the, from, the, from the Arthur Conan Doyle? From the Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, my wife's father was a historian in England yeah. and um, worked in stately homes. And at one point he had a very elderly um, personal assistant secretary. Um, and this was in the 70s. And when she was very young, she was Arthur Conan Doyle's um, personal assistant. And it was gifted to her from him and she passed it on to my wife's dad and when we were over in England 10 years ago the, we took the boys to Baker Street and they uh, to, they were right into Sherlock so we went to Baker Street and um, showed them there and then when we got to her mum's place we were talking about Baker Street and she goes oh would you like Arthur Conan Doyle's letter opener <laughs> <laughs> can, you so, des- can you describe it to us what, is, what, is, yeah, what does it even um, look like it's a, it's a brass. It's got a, I think it's a grouse or a partridge on in the handle for the at the top of the handle, and it's, you know, appropriately for a murder weapon. It's um quite daggery, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it's made <laughs> it's a little bit wonky, so it looks like it's been poked at something, but it's um, yeah, there it is, a letter opener with um, that has been held by the man. Would you mind if you sent a, uh, a photo to my producer? We can send a photo, I'm sure. I'd love that. I'd yep. love the nation to see this. That is just extraordinary. Oh, gosh, Todd, they just keep getting better and better, don't they? Todd, thank you for listening, and uh, thanks for that. Okay, lovely. Thank that's you. That's Todd, whose show and tell for us is Arthur kind of toils the right now. That's, that's quite remarkable, that one, isn't it? It's amazing. With us now is Val in Hamilton. Welcome, Val. Hello. Now, you recently found something quite special. What was it? It was my 1963 diary. So going back, what, about 60 or so years ago? Yep. And, yeah, so I understand you were living and working in Hamburg. Tell us about it. Um, Yeah, I had a gap year um, between leaving school and going to college, so um, I was kind of shuffled over there. And is there anything, when you go back in your diary, because I love diaries, because you can see yourself of a different time, is there any entry of note that you can tell us about? There sure is. On November the 23rd, in huge letters, and bear in mind the diary's only the size of a pack of cards, John Kennedy was yesterday assassinated. Shall I carry on reading? Please. Whilst driving with his wife along a street in Dallas, Texas. A 24-year-old man, Lee Oswald, has been arrested and charged, also with the murder of a policeman who tried to prevent his escape. The whole world is shocked and deeply mourns the loss of such a great politician, husband and father. Shall I go on? I'm just, I'm going to bring an alley. I'm absolutely stunned at this alley. This is extraordinary. Well, I think you should have been in news. What a that's an outstanding um, communication of what actually went on. How do you feel when you read that back? Um, a bit tearful because mm. <laughs> mm. it goes on to say who is going to be at his funeral. Keep Prince going, Philip, Earhart, Lord Hume, De Gaulle, Soviet leader, forgot his name, Schroeder. Number among the very important people going to the funeral in Washington on Monday. It just doesn't seem possible. It just doesn't seem possible, you wrote, on November the 23rd in your 1963 diary. I that's, that's just amazing. Mm. Oh, Val, I really appreciate you digging out that diary and sharing it with us. Well, I'm happy to share it because, um, yeah, it's been sitting in a box for all those years. So is my poncho, but apparently I've got to get rid of that. Yeah, no. No, 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 that... don't get rid of it. <laughs> Val has spoken. Ellie, do not get rid of it. Do not listen to me, Wallace Chapman, who said throw it away. Hey, kia ora, Val uh, and Ellie Jones, Stephen McCabe, you've both been just fantastic. Thanks, I really appreciate Wallace. it. I'm Wallace Chapman, back tomorrow, 3.45. As you know, when those horns hit, time for Lisa Owen and Checkpoint.